0: words of God that we have the privilege to be able to ponder for a little bit this evening comes from Luke chapter 20 the parable of the tenants this is a parable Jesus spoke on Tuesday of Holy Week he went on to tell the people this parable a man planted a vineyard rented it to some farmers and went away for a long time At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one they also beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. He sent still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, "'What shall I do?' I will send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, God forbid... Jesus looked directly at them and asked, Then what is that? The, then what is the meaning of that which is written, The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone to, on whom it falls will be crushed. The teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them. But they were afraid of the people. This is the Gospel of our Lord. I'm not ashamed of the Gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. This weekend is the Final Four, the culmination of the men's and women's NCAA Division I Basketball Tournament, otherwise known as March Madness. For any number of casual basketball fans, this may be the only college basketball they watch during the year. There's something about this tournament style, this win-or-go-home, that seems to pique people's interest and keep them on the edge of their seats. Because one bad game, one missed shot, could be the difference between moving on or going home. I think another reason that people like March Madness is because of the propensity they have for upsets. Each team in the tournament is ranked 1 through 16, and so you should know who is the better team. But the better team doesn't always win, and so people tend to root for the underdog, the upsets to happen. In fact, this year was the first year that a number 15 seed, St. Peter's, made it all the way to the Elite Eight. It's something that's fun to root for because it doesn't happen very often. And as long as it's not your team getting upset, most people are pretty okay with rooting for the Davids of the world versus the Goliaths. But it's not just in sports. Think about where you do your shopping or where you go to restaurants? Would you rather go to a big chain restaurant or want to support the local restaurant? Would you rather go to the big chain grocery store or rather support a local one if one is available? But I wonder, if we applied that to Jesus, what would we call him? Would Jesus be considered a favorite or would we consider him the underdog? Maybe most of you might instinctively say, well, Jesus is the favorite. And you'd be right in saying that. But did you notice in this reading that Jesus talked about? He talks about a very interesting paradox. A paradox in which he calls himself one who is rejected, he calls himself an unlikely cornerstone. So he almost seems to be putting himself in the role of that underdog. You can almost tell that we're getting closer to Easter. It's almost as if the religious leaders could tell that there was something big going to come pretty soon because their their attacks became more frequent and more vehement. In fact, the the particular attack that we talk about today came on that Tuesday of Holy Week, just a few days before Jesus would be crucified. Jesus told them this parable, the parable we just heard. Jesus told parables for more than just getting a laugh out of people. He told them to teach people. But in this case, he also told this parable to warn them. To warn the religious leaders that he knew exactly what they were up to and the consequence of what would happen if they carried through with this wicked plan. So, there we have this parable a parable of a man who buys a vineyard, and like Middle Eastern custom, he rents it out to some farmers, goes away, and will take as his rent a portion of the harvest. The owner waits for the appropriate amount of time, allows the vineyard to to be able to produce fruit, and then he sends a servant to be able to collect the rent that is due him, but he finds this rather difficult. I don't know why he decided to have such bad tenants, but he sends them this first servant to collect the rent, and what do they do? Not only do they say no, but they beat him up. They shame the second that goes to to try and collect the rent, and then they, they flog the third. Each and every time, those tenants became more and more bold in their refusal to pay the rent. Yet the fact that the owner still sent that second and third servant, despite knowing what happened to the first, is an indication showing the owner's patience with them. And then he does what many might consider strange. Sends his son. These are the farmers who not only refuse to pay rent to any of the servants, but they even beat them up. Why would you send them your son? Is the owner crazy? And those listening to the parable can almost tell where this is going. They they know how the story is going to end. And so when... When the son comes in sight of these tenants, they look and they see, the owner hasn't punished us for the first three times he beat his servants. He's far away. This is maybe an opportunity for us to take full possession of this vineyard and we'll never have to pay rent to anyone. Let's kill the son and then the father will be so distraught that he won't even bother to come and claim his property again. But in many ways, they overplayed their hand. They couldn't see what was obvious where so many others might. This is what Jesus himself says. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? You can almost hear the crowd saying that the the owner should punish those wicked servants. This is what Jesus says. He will come and kill those tenants, give the vineyard to others. Now, those listening to the parable couldn't ever imagine that this story could actually take place in real life. There wouldn't be people that wicked that they would do such a thing like that. And yet Jesus' warning is that there are people that act like that. There are people that have acted like that. And that is how they were intending to act as well. Because the point that Jesus was getting across in the parable was not that it's really hard to find good renters but that it was that he would be the son who would be rejected by the leaders of Israel. It was then that Jesus asked this well-known par- uh, well-known psalm and he said this, "Then what is meant by Psalm 118, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone." Already in the Old Testament, God had predicted that his Messiah, the Savior, would be rejected. He would not be understood. And the teachers of the law and the chief priests understood exactly what Jesus meant, that he was talking to them because they had for a while now been plotting and scheming of how to get rid of Jesus. And Jesus knew their thoughts and he warned about them but how did it get to this point? How did it get to the point that the religious leaders rejected the Messiah, that they rejected the chief cornerstone? For all of Israel's history had been centered around this promise of God to send a Savior, a Messiah. And yet, so often, when the people heard about the Messiah, they only heard what they wanted to hear. They only heard the type of Messiah that they wanted to have, and when there were words and when there were prophets that told them about a Messiah who would be slightly different than that impression, they didn't listen to it. When messengers didn't line up with the way they thought the Messiah should be, they either stoned the messengers or they stoned the Son. Jesus was an unlikely cornerstone, not of this world. So it should be no surprise that the Jewish leaders rejected him because he was not of this world. They didn't understand him. In our world, is it any different today? It might be pretty clear in the secular world where people have rejected the Messiah. Some people don't even realize their need, that they need to have a Savior. But it's not just in the secular world. It can also happen in the religious world as well when Jesus or his messengers don't line up with opinions of what people think they should say, don't line up with their perspectives, don't achieve the results which they think should be achieved. It is our sinful nature that is always with us, that always seeks to not align ourselves with that chief cornerstone. That's why we will want to reject it at every turn. Now, we may not outright reject this unlikely cornerstone. Sometimes we might try and just shift it a little bit or chip off some of the corners here or there to make it fit with our design, our perspective on life, instead of adjusting our life to fit his. Perhaps an inconspicuous way that we can start going astray is when we don't constantly check our lives are in line with this unlikely cornerstone. It can be so easy. Think of any masonry or building project. They have, a, have this chief cornerstone upon which they are always referring back to to see if something is level, to see if something is straight, because one minor difference right away can have catastrophic consequences down the road. And the same is true for our faith. There are any number of people who think that the confirmation instruction they received as 7th and 8th graders is enough to constantly keep the rest of their lives in line with the cornerstone. And it's not. Some people might think that, that the one hour a week that we get to spend in church is enough to be able to constantly check our lives against this cornerstone. Yet this too isn't enough, especially with all of the worldly influences pushing and prying us away from this unlikely cornerstone's path. there are plenty of ways that this can happen. We may not notice a slight deviation at first, but if not checked, it could turn into something that has big consequences. Let me give you a simple, tangible example. There was a time in church history, and I I don't know if you remember it or not, where dancing was considered tantamount to a sin. And this even infected the wells to a certain degree where I've been told that at my parents' wedding, they didn't have any dancing. Now, why would they say something like that? Why would we, we lead to that fact of saying that dancing is a sin? Well, people took a look at some passages in the Bible, some stories in the Bible, where dancing led to sin. Like when the Israelites built a golden calf, what were they doing worshiping around it? Dancing. Dancing. Or when Saul was overcome by a dancing girl at his birthday party, he ended up having to behead John the Baptist. And so people said, look at what dancing leads to, therefore let's not do any dancing so it doesn't lead us into sin. Now it may seem like a a little bit of a, a silly example, but it's just one way that traditions or opinions can steer us away from an unlikely cornerstone and ever more reason for us to constantly check that we are in line, and our lives are lining up with that cornerstone. Because there can be a danger when we take our eyes off that cornerstone. Because then we start to, to view life as the things that we do rather than what that cornerstone has done. And what a job that unlikely cornerstone has done. Yes, he was not of this world, but he came for this world. We can see it in any number of a plethora of passages. John 3.16, God so loved the world. The unlikely cornerstone showed unlikely love. We see it demonstrated in this very parable. We wonder how the owner of the vineyard could not only send three servants but his son, despite knowing what the tenants would likely do. We could ask that same question of God. God. Why would God send his son, knowing exactly what was going to happen to him, knowing that he would be rejected, knowing that he would die, knowing that the people who even follow him continue to reject him by sinning all the time? Why would God do that? The answer again is love. Agape love. Undeserved. Unearned. This was the reason Christ came into the world. This is the reason Christ continued to reach out to his enemies, even up until the very last hours. This is the reason he still reaches out to us, inviting us to repentance for our sins, inviting us to turn around and line our lives up with him instead of the opposite way around when we try to line his life up with ours. And he warns us of the consequence of not doing this. He puts it very clearly. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. The cornerstone that man rejects but God has chosen will be a stumbling block for some, for those who do not line their lives up with God's word. Don't get me wrong. Christ does not want to crush anybody. But that is a consequent result of rejecting the cornerstone God has chosen. God would rather build us all up into his house. Unfortunately, that will not, line, that will not always happen. Yet it's not God's fault, but our own. So how does it relate to our life today? It has everything to do with tying into your life Instead of shaping Christ to fit into my life or my schedule or my budget, rather, I will fit my life, my schedule, and my budget into Christ. And this is only done by God's power. For he's the one who chose me. I did not choose him. And he's not just chosen us to be part of the building, but he's chosen us to be able to share this message with others. And we have a wonderful opportunity to do that in the coming weeks. Here we are, two weeks away from Easter, a perfect opportunity to invite a family member, friend, or neighbor. We have nice invitation cards for you to do that. And I began today by talking about favorites and underdogs. How do we view Christ any differently? Is he the favorite or is he the underdog? Hopefully, we view him as the favorite, which we know he is. But I almost wonder if we sometimes act like he's the underdog. We act as if that our invitation isn't going to be anything special. How could God possibly use me so I don't need to worry about it? As opposed to viewing Christ as the favorite to say, I wonder how God is going to be able to use me to give glory to Him. I wonder how God is going to be able to use this Easter invitation to be able to give glory to Him. Christ is an unlikely cornerstone. But it's that unlikely cornerstone whom we expect to win because we already know He has. Amen. Now may he who began a good work in you carry it out to completion on the day of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.